all of the hurts of the past will be healed and we'll be made completely whole. What, what hope? Hey, hey, welcome to the Live Like It's True podcast, where we talk through some of the most outlandish stories in the Bible and what it would look like to live like those stories are true. I'm your host, Shannon Popkin, and my hope is that these conversations will inspire you to better know the story, share the story, and live the story. Well, I almost don't want to say it because I've enjoyed this series so much, but today is our last episode in the True Story of the Beginning series. We have spent over three months now looking at Genesis 1-3, through our origin story, and I hope you feel like I do, that this has been time well spent. Remember when we opened the series and I talked about going to a funeral for somebody that you don't know and maybe feeling a little sad, but also kind of secretly wishing that you could get back to your day? And then I contrasted that with going to a funeral for someone that you dearly love. You've known them from the beginning of their life until the end, somebody that you long to see again. And the point is, we experience loss differently when we know the whole story. We have a fuller understanding of what has been broken, and we have a deeper longing for resolution. Well, in this last episode of this series, we're going to turn our attention to the part of the story that we are still longing for, uh, the part of the story that we get a glimpse of in Revelation, the last book of the Bible. I'm so delighted to have Nancy Guthrie back. She was with us, you'll remember, for our first episode in this series when we talked about Eden's fall. Nancy is an author, a speaker, and a Bible teacher. Uh, I've been recommending her book Better Than Eden all through this series. I'd also love for you to take a look at her podcast, Help Me Teach the Bible, and her Biblical Theology Workshop for Women. Both of those have been invaluable resources to me. And what I love about Nancy is her grasp of the whole story of the Bible. She has such a brilliant understanding of how the pieces all fit together. And another thing that I love about Nancy is that she's not afraid to talk about Revelation. (laughs) You know, Revelation is the book that was written by John after he had a vision of the new heavens and the new earth. It's a futuristic vision. So, As we begin, I'm going to replay just a few minutes of my conversation with Nancy in that earlier episode, Eden's Fall, because Nancy does such a beautiful job of recapping Genesis 1 through 3. And then we will turn our attention to Revelation and look at how these two end caps of our Bible really mirror each other. Okay, so here's a part of that earlier conversation with Nancy Guthrie. Nancy Guthrie, it is such an honor to have you here at Live Like It's True. Mm, Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a blessing to get to know you a little bit. And I loved your book, Even Better Than Eden. I have just gotten so much out of this. So you looked at these themes in Genesis 1 through 3 that culminate in Genesis 21 and 22. Like or the, in Revelation 21. I'm sorry. Yes, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's what I meant. Revelation 21 and 22. Yeah, like the two end caps of our story uh, that the Bible tells. Yeah. And these are the parts that I feel like a lot of times we slice these two parts off. Yes. You know, we really zone in on like the problem, 
that unfolds in Genesis three with sin. And, and then we, we want to get to the part where Jesus took care of our sin, but then we kind of slice off what God originally intended and what he's, he's Mm -hmm. wanting us to look forward to. So today I want to focus, I want to go forward to revelation and, and, and kind of put those two pieces together because they do really mirror each other quite a bit. Um, And I thought it was interesting throughout the book, you kept referring to God had something even better in mind, even in your title, even better than Eden. Yeah. Like this isn't, we're not just trying to get back to Eden. Isn't that significant? I mean, that was a big aha for me, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because I, 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 yeah, I've always seen Eden as this ideal. And so Mm -hmm. one thing I say, and even better than Eden is, is that I think we're intended to think of Eden, not in terms of perfection, but in terms of potential. Mm. Uh, and, and by that, what I mean that we that we see Eden was perfectly good, and as were Adam and Eve. Mm-hmm. And Adam and Eve made in the image of God, humanity, we had a measure of glory. And then Adam and Eve were given this task. So they were at the center of their lives was a God honoring purpose, Mm -hmm. which was that they would be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and that they would work and keep the garden and that they would exercise dominion Mm -hmm. over every creeping thing and every bird of the air and every, you know, land animal. And so that I think are some of our first hints, Shannon, Mm -hmm. that, that Eden, it wasn't everything it was meant to be. So It it covered this very small territory in the midst of a wilderness. So as Adam and Eve would uh, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and work and keep with the garden, the boundaries of that garden would expand Mm -hmm. and be filled with more image bearers of God, people who, who bore his glorious image and lived in obedience, glad (laughs) obedience to their God, the, this great King that he, he had made them vice regents. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you, you know, so the, the, the plan for creation was headed, always headed toward this great Sabbath rest, mm-hmm. this seventh day. So at the very beginning, uh, you've got this sense of the, this, that he sanctified this seventh day mm-hmm. and he made it holy. And so there is that sense right there in Eden of that it that Eden was not created to simply stay static, right? Uh, that it was headed somewhere with a purpose. And at the center of that also is we've got the tree of life, which we're not told much about in, mm-hmm. in Genesis. Uh, but then there's also this tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve have been given this instruction. And this tree was intended to be a place where this first Adam would at the tree, he would have the opportunity to judge good as good and judge evil as evil. Hmm. On what basis? Hmm. On the basis of what God has said. Okay. And that's where he failed. And God had said, in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. And so Adam and Eve, they had everything they needed 
to judge that as evil. Mm -hmm. And so here is Adam. He's given this task to exercise dominion over creeping things. And what happens there at that tree? This creeping thing (laughs) comes and he twists God's word. He says that what God said actually isn't true. They're Mm -hmm. not going to die. And Mm -hmm. so at that moment, Adam should have crushed the head of the serpent Mm -hmm. then and there and put an end to evil. And if he had, Adam and Eve would have been able to lead all of their posterity into all of the glory and abundance and expansion that God had intended Mm -hmm. all along for his people, which he still intends for his people. But the thing is that first Adam failed to lead us into it. And so that sets us into motion in, in the story of the Bible, the coming of what Paul, of the person Paul calls the last or the second Adam. Mm. And so he is going to come into this world and on the cross and in his resurrection, mm-hmm. we discover that he in that has crushed the head of the serpent. He, he has done what the first Adam failed to do and that he in fact is Uh, leading his people, all who are now joined to him by faith. We we take hold of Christ. We become joined to him. And he's the one who is going to then lead us into this garden that's going to cover the whole of the earth, Mm -hmm. this eternal Sabbath rest, Mm -hmm. this abundant, this abundance, this face-to-face relationship with God, this purity, this full satisfaction Mm. that God has intended for his people all along. Well, I hope you agree that that was worth listening to twice. Um, And in our first conversation, Nancy and I went on to talk about how Adam and Eve were sent from the garden out into the wilderness where the ground would now produce thorns. And we talked about how understanding this overarching storyline of the Bible helps us get perspective on those thorns that pierce our lives and fester and cause so much pain. And Nancy talked about the profound pain of losing two of her babies after only about six months each to a genetic disorder. And we talked about how common it is when we experience something like that for us to look at those thorns and ask why. So let's jump back into the conversation as Nancy talks about the why behind the thorns. I think for me, I I was looking for a scriptural answer and I found it there many places, but beginning there in Genesis 3.15, where we see, I'm going to put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. Mm-hmm. Uh, as, as we see the way the curse yes. is going to impact the world in Genesis 3, 14 and 15, yeah. uh, that there's going to be pain in childbearing. This is not solely about labor and delivery. No, uh, This is the pain of being a sinful parent, bringing a sinful child mm-hmm. into a sin-cursed world. And there, 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 is, there is pain, right? And there's, there's pain in that marriage relationship. Yeah. We, we see. So um, why did this happen? Because I, I was, if somebody asked me, why have you had two children who were born with a fatal disorder? I would say, because the curse that came into this world because of sin has infiltrated all of creation, mm-hmm. even my genetic code. Yep. 
so that my genes don't work right. So, but here's the thing. So not only in that verse, do I find an answer to the question why in terms of cause, I also find a sense of, of hope, right? Because we're told that an offspring of the woman is one day going to be born. Who's going to crush the head of the serpent. Right. And so right there at the beginning, I'm given hope. This is where my hope is. And this is where the hope is for anyone who feels like their life has been profoundly impacted by the impact of the curse Mm -hmm. on this world that has brought them incredible pain. Here's where the story is headed. Right. It's headed toward a day in which there is no more curse. It's headed toward a day in which we will be with God in this final dwelling place. And it says that he's going to dwell with us and be our God. And what's that going to look like? Well, it tells us, it says he is going to wipe away our tears and there will be no more death and no more mourning and no more pain. That's where the future is headed. And so that has given me and continues to give me great hope living in a world where things just don't work right because of the curse. And isn't that so much more satisfying of an answer than trying to find, well, here's my, you know, my little reason tucked within my, I mean, those are nice. Those little reasons like, well, I see why God didn't allow this because he wanted this to happen. I mean, but that that what you just painted is so much more satisfying and eternal and lasting. I think we can see the ways God is using our suffering for good without saying that's why he did it. Mm. Um, the thing is, God is doing a million yeah. things in this world. Yeah. Uh, so maybe the fallacy is to think that we can always trace that straight line to make sense of it ourselves. And the thing is, if we could, that would require no trust on our part, Mm. trusting Mm -hmm. in what we can't see. Mm -hmm. Uh, But because we can't see everything is doing, it calls us to trust him. Mm. That's so good. Yeah. I've often thought like, like, why do we even need the story of Abraham and his faith and the story of the Israelites. And like, I mean, we could really just scoop that all out mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and go from Genesis three, the, the fall to the cross, like, right. Mm-hmm. But no, because it's, it's our faith that, that pleases God. It's, it's our faith in not having all the answers, not being able to trace the one-to-one correlation between our experience and what God is doing. It's our faith in in this coming culmination uh, of, of revelation. And so let's, let's go there next. Take us to that garden city described mm-hmm. in Genesis 21 through 22. Mm-hmm. In fact, would you be willing to read verses one through four of 21? 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. 
He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And that's the verses that you were just referring to, the ones that you've clung to. What What is interesting about how God, I mean, he leads... The, the leading thought here is that there's a dwelling place of God with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. What is interesting about that? So many things. Um, for one thing, I think what we're seeing here basically is the consummation of a marriage. Mm. Uh, the Bible is the story of God's intention to present a bride to his son. Uh, eternity could be described as a marriage. That's what marriage has always been about showing us what God intends to share with us forever. And if we'd been reading the book of Revelation, which by the way, I finished teaching last night. I taught Revelation 22 last night at my church. Um, When you, you go along, that's very much on John's mind in the book of Revelation. And you'll remember in chapter 19 of Revelation, uh, he talks about the marriage supper of the lamb. Mm-hmm. So there's that supper right. and the marriage where the marriage is about to be consummated. And Jesus shows up right after that supper as a warrior hmm. and uh, basically cleansing creation hmm. to make it fit for to, to dwell with his bride. And then here in chapter 21, we have the consummation. Now, hmm. finally, finally, God, who, who for so long has been working out his plan to dwell with his people. That was his purpose in Eden. Mm. And that was his purpose in the tabernacle and the temp, later the temple in, in, in a, in, in a partial way. I mean, only one person could enter into the most holy place in the tabernacle of the temple. And then we see Jesus, uh, the word was made flesh and tabernacled or dwelt among us. Jesus came to dwell Mm -hmm. among us. Right. I love that. But then this is now we have the full, Mm. the full consummation of what he intended, this dwelling of God Mm. with his people. How does this echo back to what we saw in Genesis one through three? Well, first of all, I mean, just look at the first few verses. Then I saw a new Mm. heaven. And a new yeah. earth. So it echoes back to uh, God created the heavens and the mm-hmm. earth. And we can see that what we're headed toward is a recreation yeah. of those things. Uh, we see this bride adorned for her husband. You know, um, Eve was presented to her bridegroom and he turned out to be a failed mm-hmm. bridegroom. And in fact, she was quite flawed right. herself. Yeah. And But in the future, God is going to present another bride to his son, who will not be a failed bridegroom. And this bride, though she has thoroughly sullied herself, at this point, look at her. She is adorned for her husband. And we'll read later in the chapter, you know, this is, she's been cleansed. She's wearing these white robes that have been washed in the blood of the lamb. And so here is this pure bride presented to her husband. And here is God dwelling with us. And when we see the very end of that, the former things have passed away. What is he talking about? He's talking about the way things work in this world now under a curse. Hmm. 
So when you when you read that, some some translations will see the old order. Mm-hmm. I th- think that helps us get to that a little bit more clearly. Mm-hmm. Old or what kind of order? The order of the way things worked under a curse. And so we see at the end of that that that's all gone for good. So he's wiping away the tears. Uh, and and the death and the thorns that have pierced, he's wiping all of that away, and and he's restoring not the Garden of Eden but something better. Like mm-hmm. he's bringing us into the new creation. Right. Mm-hmm. So and then I, I'd love for us to look also at uh, Genesis. Or, I keep saying Genesis. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Revelation 22. Okay. Um, this this tree, you know, that we talked yeah. about earlier. There's the, the, there it is again. It reappears. It does. Yeah. And so, could you read one through three? Yeah. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. Mm. So there, there that curse is lifted also, right? In verse, uh, verse three, no longer will there be anything accursed. The curse is gone. Um, yeah. but, but this tree that you know Adam and Eve were driven out of the garden of eden and then there was that angel with the sword guarding yes. them so they couldn't get back well now there's free access to this tree um yes. and so it's a city and yet it also is a garden right and it's also a temple oh right it's also a temple because where god dwells mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. all of those metaphors help us they 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 help us uh, they put some meat on the bones mm-hmm. of our eternal future. I mean, how vague is that for some people to think about eternity? Sure, right. And these metaphors, these images, these realities help us to put some meat on yes. the bones of that. And so like, I think for some time I, I had in my mind that the earth was going to be recreated as it was in the beginning continuity right or yeah and there wouldn't be any progress i think you know like we wouldn't have computers or you know we'd start from scratch and yet this is a city it sounds like a very sophisticated city and it's a temple it's a place to worship it's all of them it's a garden it's a city i love that you put those together i think when we think about city like look back in chapter 21 verse 9 He says, come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And so we know who that is, right? That's, Mm -hmm. that's uh, believers. And he carried me in the way to, in the spirit to a high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem. And so what we need to recognize is this, this city, I I think in, in, in revelation here, I've always kind of thought of it as a place and it is a place. But I, I think we should think of it perhaps more as people, mm. as, as this multinational community mm. uh, of people. And the gates into this city, look in mm-hmm. verse 13, um, on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, on the west three gates, 
well, what is this telling us? It's telling us people are coming into this city from every direction, uh, from every tribe, tongue, and nation, people of every color, of every era. They're all entering to this city, becoming a part of the people of God. And and the tribes are mentioned and the apostles are mentioned. These are like the entry points. You know, it started with the nation of Israel, but the gates are open. Mm-hmm. This That was just the yes. beginning and the foundation was laid so that this city could be, it's for all of us. I'm not Jewish. Are you, Nancy? <laughs> and no. so this city is for you and me too. We'll be, yeah, good yeah it'll be our city. And I mean, help me more though with this. It's a, it's a group of people, not just a place. Do you picture this city yeah. like, I mean, it's got these 12 foundations. Is it on earth or is it suspended from heaven? It is the earth. Okay. It is the earth, a a recreated earth. Uh, Go to Romans 8, where it talks about all creation is groaning, uh, longing for the freedom of the sons of God. What's that? It's longing for resurrection day. Because it knows that resurrection day for us us as believers, when when God gives us new glorious bodies, Mm -hmm. where where are these glorious bodies going to go? Well, they're going to go on a renewed earth uh, when all of creation will be set free from the curse. Let's go back to Genesis. If you look at Genesis uh, 3, 15 through 17, you look at specifically what it what is cursed, the serpent and mm-hmm. the ground. And so when we read there's no more curse than the ground, the earth, the whole of the earth has been set free from that curse. And it's been renewed. Uh, chapter 21, verse 5, behold, I am making all things mm-hmm. new. He does not say, I am making all new mm-hmm. things. You know, I'm making all things new. And that is the work of recreation mm-hmm. that we're reading about yeah. here. Yeah. yeah. Shannon, you're going to have to get my newest book. Oh, I can't wait. The Revelation one? Called yeah. Blessed. Yes. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. I. Yeah. It was really fun writing the chapter on Revelation okay, 21 I'm gonna, I'm sure and a 22. lot of my questions I think are you'll like it. Yeah. in that one. But but in closing, let's just look at this tree. This this okay. tree with the 12 fruits and yeah, it's it says it's first it says it's on both sides of the river which so it's expanded. There's expansion from that single tree of life that was in the original Eden. I think it's speaking here of abundance and access, like everybody's (laughs) going to have access. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it, it doesn't just have one kind of fruit has 12 kinds of fruit, Mm -hmm. abundant satisfaction. All of, all of our desires are going to be met. You, You were talking earlier about your lunch with your friend and you you wept because you know there wasn't anything big going but you just had this sense of emptiness right dissatisfaction mm-hmm. I think we're kind of crazy if we don't expect to feel that yeah, way in this world because because this this world is never going to fully satisfy mm-hmm. us and that's the beauty of this passage when we read about these 12 kind of fruits, 
yielding its fruit, not just like one crop of fruit a year, like a typical tree. No, yielding its fruit each month. It's saying all of your desires are going to be satisfied. There is abundance to the way uh, we're going to be fed. We're, we're going to be completely satisfied. And then we read the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Just, just think about all of the pain, all of the injury, the curse has brought on your life, on my life, on the lives of those who are listening. So many deep hurts, so many scars that our own sin and then the impact of the curse has injured us and wounded us and shaped us even. And here's this beautiful promise that in this new creation, the leaves of the tree are going to be for the healing of the nation. So for us as individuals and us as, as a people uh, who, who've been called to him, this abundant healing, all of the hurts of the past will be healed and we'll be made completely whole. What, what hope? That's beautiful. So this story, as we look at it without slicing off the ends, the wholeness of it, how does it correct the ways that people tell their story in the context, missing out on this bigger story? How does it help us correct the false narratives of the world? You know, for most of my life, if you'd asked me what the Christian life is all about, I kind of thought of, you know, I, I choose Christ and I try really hard to live for him. And then I go to heaven when I die. And the truth is, Shannon, I don't think I ever thought through the passages that talk about the resurrection at his return and how my eternal existence would be different after Christ returns to this earth and my body is resurrected. And I am then once again, not just a soul in the presence of Christ away from here with my body in the ground, which is going to happen first, but then after the resurrection, reunited body and soul Mm -hmm. with a body that according to Philippians one says is going to be like Jesus's glorified body. (laughs) And so I think I just never thought through what's where them, Mm. you know? Um, And so now what this story shows us as we see that actually God is going to renew the whole of his creation, it's going to be a place that's fit for us live to live forever with him face-to-face. So that's where my story is headed. And so that's what it should then be the center of my hope, not simply my soul going away to heaven to forever float away in some existence away from here, but rather an embodied life, but in a body that will be, uh, that will never die, that will be immortal. And not only that will be glorious, will be as glorious as the resurrection body of Jesus is right now. So how can we live right now as though that is our future, that is our hope? How can we live like it's true, that this story is true? Well, first of all, we reckon with reality that it is. When we read in 1 Corinthians 5.17, to those who are in Christ, the new creation has come. Mm. That's the NIV, uh, which I think is, is, is better than the ESV, which, which would say, um, 
to those in Christ are a new creation. Mm-hmm. I think it's better, a little better to think of it, the new creation. So think about that new creation out there in the future. Mm-hmm. It's actually come to me right now. Mm-hmm. And when, where, how in the interior of my life, mm-hmm. even now, uh, what is it? Paul writes that I am being renewed day by day, mm. right? In Second Corinthians four, when he talks about you know my body is wasting away, but in the interior of my life, I'm being renewed day by day. Mm. That's what we can count on: is that new creation life has been implanted in us when God um, gave life, when He traded our dead, hard hearts mm-hmm. for for new hearts hearts of flesh uh, that are given life by Christ and the spirit is at work in us. And we can, we can actually be experiencing this newness, this newness of life, Mm -hmm. this, um, this becoming more like Christ walking more in his life, increasingly day by day, as we go through this life, we are not, uh, we are not tied to the oldness of the past, all of our old ways, all of our old habits, all of our old patterns of thinking, all of our old ways of Mm -hmm. sinning. We've been given this new life. We've been uh, given, we're given the power to overcome sin. And so that's the difference this makes. It's starting now. And and that that grows in us, the longing for that day when all of that that's beginning now uh, comes to its full fruition in the new creation. Mm -hmm. I can't wait. (laughs) But I want to embrace it now and live like it's true. And I know you do too. I know you do too. Definitely. Thank you, Nancy. You're welcome. Such a blessing. Appreciate you so much. Thank you so much, Anna. The new creation has begun in me. I have thought of that so many times since Nancy said it. Am I going to live out of the story of the fall and corruption and sin? Am I going to continue plucking forbidden fruit and perpetuating all of the consequences of the curse? Or am I going to live like it's true that the new creation where Jesus is making all things new is happening inside of me? Thank you so much for joining me for this true story of the beginning series. I hope it has been helpful for you. I just want you to hold on to the fact that God didn't give you a sermon or a list of facts or instructions to help you understand who you are and what your purpose is. He gave you a story. It's like a velvet pouch of gems that helps hold all of the truths together. And you can take the gems out anytime you want and examine their beauty just by remembering the story, the true story of the beginning. So will you hold it close? Will you live out of this story and use it to correct the false narratives of the world? Will you live like it's true? To help you out, we have added a false narrative watch list as part of our our Live Like It's True workbook, which correlates with this uh, story of the beginning series. So you can find that link in your show notes, along with a link to Nancy Guthrie's book, Better Than Eden, and all of the other resources that we have been recommending in this series. I'm going to be taking a little break here on the podcast to work on my next book, which is a study on the life of Sarah from Genesis 12 through 21 that will be published with Our Daily Bread. So uh, looking forward to sharing that with you. I'd love to hear from you. Tell me what has resonated with you here on the podcast or what you'd like to hear next. 
Um, And make sure that you go back and revisit some of those earlier uh, series. We have the true story of Jesus at the beginning, um, Jesus stories, and we have the true story of Easter as our second series, and then we had our uh, summer standout series where I talked to a number of authors who were, they were choosing the Bible passages, um, and then now this true story of the beginning. So what would you like to hear next? Um, what has, has resonated? What have you enjoyed most? I sincerely would love to hear from you. It's truly a joy to serve you. Thanks so much for listening. And now it's time to go live like it's true.